Welcome to You Dive Deep, where we dive into a single question each week and navigate through this tough thing we call life. Come on, let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of You Dive Deep. I know this is usually where I plug in my social media, tell you some projects I'm working on and everything like that for this podcast, but I am scrapping it. I'm skipping everything because I am so excited for the person I have for this episode. There are honestly no superlatives that I can use that this musical legend has not heard or received, so I'm just going to say how big of an influence this person has been in my life, and it's an absolute honor to have someone like Leland Scalar with me today. Hey, how you doing, Lee? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm so glad to have an opportunity to hang with you again. We had such a good time on the last adventure we had, so this is really special to me. Hey, you did not hear that wrong. Little old Tommy over here is getting a little bit of clout. You heard that correctly when Lee said, hang out again. So, hey, I I don't need to disclose how long or short that experience was, but I'm so glad to have Lee back here. And Leland, obviously, I know the phenomenal legend that you are. And a lot of people that are probably listening to this probably followed it because they found your name. But for those of you who don't know you, I have to ask that question. Who are you? Well, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a human being that lives on this little ball that we are traveling around the heavens and the universe on and thrilled to be a part of that community of humanity. I'm a professional musician and I've been doing it almost uh, since I was five years old. And it's uh, it's one of the greatest joys I could have ever imagined in my life was to be in a profession that brings pleasure and happiness to people. It's I feel very fortunate on that level. And uh, I'm a happily married person. And uh, I've had both my shots. So I'm, I'm especially uh, grateful. And you know, I, I just more than anything, you know, I, I'm happy to be an engaged person in what's going on in the world and trying to make a positive, uh, leave a positive footprint uh, on my time here. It's always so fun to kind of get a different side of Lee because for those of you who are following him, he is everywhere. He has his own YouTube channel. He's doing a lot of phenomenal work and it might be a little off for Lee right now because he's so used to touring, but to see a man with someone shoving so, he's literally squeezing every hour out of the day and making the most out of it. And then you sit down and speak to him and he's just so well-spoken, so humble and so easy to talk to. You wouldn't know actually earlier today, he took his hot rod out for this uh Phenomenal documentaries put together. He always upkeeps with his uh, YouTube channels, doing things consistently. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrongly, you also, I believe you said, had like a three and a half jam session with your clubhouse or something like that. And yeah. so you had so many things to do today, and yet you still make time to be able to come on this show. I feel like that kind of speaks a lot to your work ethic. And I just f- believe that to any normal person, that's a lot. But to you, someone who's so used to touring all the time, you're like, ah, oh, this is just like any other day. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I just enjoy interaction and I enjoy projects. And I'm not a I'm not a person who has leisure time. I don't vacation. I I, to me, I I have a a massive work ethic, regardless of if it's a a paying job or just a a thing I'm doing. And uh, certainly during this past year, I've had to be creative 
from the standpoint that uh, a year's worth of work vanished immediately as soon as, as COVID hit. And I didn't really dwell on it. I kind of thought, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And uh, and some opportunities came along to do things that would have never happened had it not been for this period of time. And I've, uh, I've embraced them. I, I'm the first to recognize what a terrible time we've gone through in terms of the amount of, I, I've had a, a number of deaths in my life during this period. And I, I, I know what kind of suffering's been going on from both health issues for people, financial issues, businesses being lost, people being evicted from their homes, all this stuff. And I thought we need moments of, of release from this weight of this kind of oppressive thing that it's felt like for this past year with COVID sitting on us like a massive block of cement on your chest. And uh, and so I, I took full advantage of it. And I've just tried to fill every day with something interesting and unique. Uh, and, and I'm also good with just spending a whole day working in my yard you know, and seeing results at the end of the day where you can stand back and you realize you've just dug out an old bed and planted new flowers and plants and it all looks wonderful and happy and uh, uh, so it's a sense of accomplishment and reward at the end of each day. Absolutely. And once again, it's just something that I definitely look forward to and look up to because there's a lot of times where I we get bogged down after a long work day and then I could just take the easy way out saying I'm just going to just relax on my couch and things like that. Whereas in an ironic twist, I feel like if I were to kind of take that initiative to continue to do something that I'm passionate about, such as this podcast and putting extra hours in, yeah. although it's more work after work, I feel so much yeah. more energized. I feel so happy because I'm like, oh, wow, I felt so productive. And it's this almost kind of weird feeling that I have to kind of remind myself, say, hey, no matter how tired you are, just think of how great it would be when you continue to work on things. And so that's mm -hmm. why I'm so glad that you're able to spare me some time throughout your busy, busy schedule to come on and speak with me. And this is actually the second time I've had the privilege to speak with you. I know you were on another podcast with me with my good friend Josh for the Mindless Morning yeah. Show, and we had a blast kind of catching up. So I almost see that as a blessing because now this is my second chance to have another opportunity to talk to you, ask you questions that I wanted to talk to you about, but didn't want to continue to badger you with, if you will. Well, we, we also don't have Josh messing everything up. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> no, well, he was, he was great. Yeah, he was amazing. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this kind of interaction and I think what you're doing is incredibly valuable you know, for people to come to your site and be able to, you know, listen to your spin on life and, and your pulling, you know, information and thoughts out of your guests. There's a gift to that. And I think a necessary thing, because uh, with the advent this year of isolation, the more we can communicate on any kind of a level, certainly be it podcasts or any kind of webcast, Zoom things and all that, where people are, are not feeling quite as isolated. I mean, I feel fortunate that I'm in a uh, a larger home with a wife and two dogs. I can find lots of things to do, but I know people that are living by themselves in a bachelor apartment. And uh, this has been an incredibly difficult time. And the only really time that they get to be away from that environment is when they're online, you know, viewing podcasts or Zooming with people. I'm, I'm grateful that we have the technology at this time to do those things during a time that is so difficult for people. 
I, I'm, I'm loving these kind of situations and I'm, I'm very glad that you're doing this and I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing my stuff. It gives me purpose every day to get up and think about what am I going to do today? You know, and I kind of line up. I mean, I've got the first thing in the morning tomorrow, I have a, a, a Zoom interview with a guy in Norway. And then and then we sit there thinking of time zones. So he said, is it OK to call you at eight in the morning? And I said, sure, no problem. I'm, a, I'm usually up around 530. So I said, that's no no big deal. But I love it. I, I absolutely uh, totally enjoy this interaction. And I'm, I was thrilled that you invited me to uh, be on your show. Oh, man. And it's just an absolute blessing. I feel like you are just way too humble just saying just blessed to be on the show. Like I said, it's the complete opposite to have someone like you on this show just gives me so much more confidence just being able to ask you any kind of questions. And thankfully, like I said, this is that second opportunity I have. And while I when I found out that I had an opportunity to have you on my show, I really start to stress out thinking, what is that one perfect question I want to ask someone like Lee? And that's an impossible question to have. And I almost feel like the question that we have is a cop out. But with someone of your experience, I would just love to pick your brain only because I'm hoping that we're going to be able to explore this question in almost different perspective and different ways. And from someone with your type of experience, Mm -hmm. clout, and just honestly, the legacy you're leaving behind, it all brings us up to this specific question that I picked today. So Lee, what do you honestly think is the true answer of why is music so important? And I mean that in every literal context that we have. Why is it so important to society, our lives, and why do we feel so enriched? And it's almost like the equalizer, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the perfect example is I'm Korean, and I still remember when Gangnam Style came out, and all my friends were telling me about it before I even knew about it. And I was like, wait, hold on. You guys don't understand what he's saying. They're like, we don't care. It's, It's hilarious. It's awesome. And to me, that was so cool because they didn't care about the fact that they didn't understand what I was saying. They just said, this is music. It invokes joy to me. It makes me feel happy. Yeah. It, there's no language barrier between that. And that's what I yeah. think is so beautiful. And I know I, it's kind of a long-winded way to kind of once again ask you, Lee, why is music so important? Well, I mean, the thing that, that I've always loved about music is for the most part, and it's kind of what you just said, it really transcends um, language. It transcends cultures. Um, it can be inclusive of cultures, yet um, I've, I've traveled the world and I've played in so many places where English wasn't necessarily a first language yet, you know, like with Phil Collins, we would be in the Middle East or um, in Asia and the audience is singing every song, but they've learned them phonetically. But, but it's the actual musical experience that brings everybody together. And the thing that's really beautiful, I mean, there are some genres in music that maybe you know the the essence of going to a concert is to head bang and throw yourselves into each other you know to go to death metal and different mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. but for them for them and, and and that comes with the territory so it's not shocking if that's what you're into because that's your expectation when you go to the concert is that's what's going to be going on but the idea to me of being able to go to pretty much any country in the world and play something that brings the audience together and have a a shared positive experience. Now, I mean, when you think about music, just try to imagine almost any movie you've ever seen and you see these poignant, you know, moments in a movie where the person is thinking about something and you think about that scene without music and it's just somebody standing there. 
but you add the score to it and all of a sudden it, it goes to visceral levels that are touching you incredibly deeply. It, it's, it's a remarkable medium. And, you know, certainly human beings aren't the only creature. There, there are so many animals in the world that have musicality that um, a lot of it we don't understand just because of the arrogance of the human creature thinking we're the only ones that can have this kind of an experience. But I feel it, it's always been one of these things for me because I've been in music since I mean, I started playing music when I was just going on five years old. Wow. And so it's something I've, I've been with my in my entire life. And I, I just there's some it's like peeling an onion. Ultimately, there's so many layers to the experience, the um, the, the personal growth you would experience as a uh, as a learning musician and developing your skills, the, the levels of relationship with other musicians that have to enter a completely other level to really play together. And then the other levels of the relationship that you and the other musicians have with the audience that you're playing for, because without an audience, it's just a, a rehearsal or, you know, just, just for you. Uh, and to me, the, the magic of it is like when we were on the road and the minute that curtain starts to go up and you feel that audience, that energy that comes in from them, it's just like giving you an electric shock and you and you step up in your game gets so much better for the relationship that you have with an audience. And I am forever humbled by that experience of going out on a stage with uh, with my friends and and feeling that energy from an audience. It's it's magic. And it's really it's it's hard to put it into words because it's such a a gut level experience. It's not a, a a thing that actually your vocabulary really adequately can cover. I, I absolutely love the world of music and musician. It's a pretty interesting cast of characters that, that end up in this world. And it's a, I love it. Just love it. Yeah, music is just such a beautiful thing because it starts to be able to speak to us on so many different levels, like you said. Let's kind of rewind and just talk about like that movie industry, like you mentioned. Way back yeah. when, when there were silent movies, that was all literally just a composition that invokes all those emotions. Of course, there are some scenes where you see someone talking and then the words flash up on the screen on whatever is actually happening in the silent movie. But that whole movie's theme, the premise, and all the emotion that it invokes is all the beautiful compositions that kind of accompany the scene and things like yeah. that. And a lot of times when I'm watching the behind the scenes of any of my favorite movies, even the big blockbuster Marvel superhero movies, it's so weird when I see behind the scenes because it just seems so unnatural because there are all these lights and cameras and then you hear them saying their iconic lines. But the biggest thing that kind of takes me back is, wait, where's the cinematic music? Where's the score of everything? Because it feels so naked. It feels so empty. And it isn't until music comes in where you're almost teleported, elevates it to a whole new mm -hmm. level. And honestly, I always tell people that music is the closest thing we have to a time machine. Right now, if I were to hear a specific song, I will be transported to the summer of 2013 because I know that's the song that I would listen to all the time on road trips with my friends or with my family. And all these kind of emotions and memories start to rush back. Yeah. And it's so cool how you can make those kind of connections. But I, it's a really cool opportunity to have you here, mostly because because it's really neat to almost kind of talk 
about the other perspective. Because for me, and I'm sure it's very similar to you, I make these kind of musical connections based on the time of my life on when I hear it. Sometimes when someone gets really sad, there are certain songs that kind of help you get through that. But for a musical mm-hmm. artist like you, is that something similar where you listen to music and it brings you back? Or is it more of, I hear a song and it takes me back to when I played that song and I think of the tours that I went on with the song and things like that? Uh, for, for me, it's both. Um, because there's a, there's so much music that that when when we're traveling, that's one of the things that people say all the time is you're like the benchmark of our life. And and it, there's songs that you related to during births and deaths and marriages and divorce, graduation. I mean, there's so many points in your life that they're delineated by specific songs. And uh, it's a remarkable thing that the minute you hear that song, there's a, a, a second that where you really are transported into that in, in the same way, Absolutely. like you say, say you walk by a field and it's got some kind of a clover growing in it. And maybe at one point in your life, you lived in an apartment or something that had a field that had that clover in it. And the minute you smell that for a second, you're suddenly back in that apartment and you might be eight years old. Um, it, it's, it's a remarkable thing, but music really has that, that ability to kind of delineate moments in your life. And, and I, I both, I hear certain songs and I can remember like where I was in high school the first time I heard that song or something. And then there's the other times where I'll hear songs and I remember having worked on it and suddenly I'm at that studio again and I might be working with musicians like Jeff Picaro um, who are no longer with us. Yet at that moment, he's as, as alive as he ever was in my mind thinking about the session that we did together to create that. So it really runs runs for, as a musician, certainly, it runs the whole gamut of that emotional attachment to the performance of it, but also the visceral attachment of where you were in your life when you heard that and, and kind of where you were thinking and, and experiencing at the time. And there's very few things that actually can do that for you. And music really is a, is a remarkable conduit to uh, other levels of consciousness. You know, you put headphones on and lay down and close your eyes and you can really have almost an out of body experience with certain things. You know, your mind really can drift off and uh, it's an incredible gift. Music has just such a beautiful way of just working on so many different platforms. And it's actually something that you just touched upon. Humans have a way of connecting music to significant parts of their lives. We do it uh, Mm -hmm. subconsciously, like we said. Maybe there are certain times where, let's say my parents were big Beatles fans and my dad would always cradle me while Strawberry Fields is going in the background. Now when I hear it, that's what I'll be transformed. I'll remember looking at the mobile, my dad, uh, what he might have been wearing, beat up jeans, tired from work, but he still spends that time and we play a record and I'm just transported back. But then you also see that us as humans have a weird way of almost forcing the issue. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Think about it of like first dance of a wedding. Think of how much stress the bride and groom says, we have to pick the perfect song. This is our song now. Obviously it's not our song, but to us, it is our song. We don't care who wrote it. At the end of the day, it's our song. It's not yours anymore, Lee. It's mine. And you'll also have to think of people almost think of it comedically more recently where, hey, 
when I pass away for my funeral, I want this song to be the song that you guys play. It's like this type of connection where we almost claim it because that's how intimate it is. And it is really, really intimate. And I feel like that's why a lot of people idolize musicians in a way where I feel like it's almost on, and this could be my personal bias, on a different level than an actor. Because for me, when I listen to music, I'm at my most vulnerable. I might have gone through my first breakup. I might have just lost someone in my family and I'll hide away, put on some headphones, hide under the covers and just start listening to music and it has a way of capturing me when I'm so vulnerable and at that time if it's uh, maybe a certain artist I always go to I'm saying they were there for me that now I have this yeah. type of connection I feel like that's why we gravitate so much to music and hold on to it and even if you want to look on the other aspect of things on a more comical route look at what's happening in pop culture in the media even wrestling like WWE the wrestlers want to pick the perfect entrance song because that sets the tone yeah. or when the Super Bowl comes out you want to know what Tom Brady's pump up song is what, what what's his playlist looking like because we have this way of trying to connect with other people mm -hmm. with music being this ultimate equalizer and i absolutely love how that kind of looks like but kind of what is your perspective with how us as humans almost not only naturally kind of make these connections but we force it but it's still beautiful because it's all of the symbols and all of the type of microcosms of our lives that we almost try to put saying this is our song well i think i think you're absolutely right i mean it's it's almost hard to add anything to what you've just said because it, it really is correct i mean there there are so many Things I remember when my when my mother-in-law passed away, and th there was a song that she absolutely loved, and we made sure that that was performed at at the funeral for her. And even though she wasn't there, she was there because we knew that that was the song that she would want to be hearing. But there's there's so many really. I, I think the thing that that's remarkable with with music is. It, it can be on levels where first off, your favorite song could be an instrumental. So you don't necessarily need lyrics to be connected with it. Uh, if for some reason the emotional content of just the music itself without lyrics has been enough to, you know, to make that your song. And I've talked to people over the years and, and all of them have, you know, as soon as you play something, they kind of go, God, I've always loved that song. It means so much to me. It reminds me of, like you said, man, with your dad holding you and, and suddenly you're transported back into that moment. That's one of the things people always say about music is, you know, they say like when I heard like James Taylor sing Fire and Rain or something like that, they, they go right back to very specific moments in their lives where that song connected with them and it meant a great deal to them. And it doesn't matter if it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's as fresh when they hear it now as it was when they first heard it. And it's it's a remarkable medium. Um, I know, like when you, when you were saying, you know, more, more so than like acting. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like with acting and in theater, no matter you know what level, generally the person that's performing are reading lines that were written for them. It's it's a different medium. And I've had so many actors over the years that, that would come up and they would see like we'd be in a club jamming, and they would go, "How do you think of that?" You know, because they're not used to necessarily thinking of their lines, they perform their lines, but it's it's not their original ideas that they're experiencing, where when you see some great musicians playing and they can go off on tangents where they've never played together before and things, yet this magic happens because there's a, a bond and a connection uh, with musicians that's pretty, pretty unique. And, and it really requires an interaction, a listening to each other 
being open to each other, um, not thinking that this moment is all about me. It's, it's about us. It's your relationship with the other musicians and the audience. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful space to be in. I mean, I keep coming back to this, but it really is truly a remarkable medium to, to be involved in. And for people that do it, they understand what I'm talking about. And for those who have never experienced it, it, it it's, it's elusive because they they don't necessarily have that kind of a thing in their lives. I, I had a lot of friends in the corporate world that you know they would just sit there with their countdown clock uh, to when they could retire. And I'm and people would say to me, "So when are you going to retire?" And I go, "From what?" I said, "My my <laughs> vocation beautiful. would have been my avocation under other circumstances." I feel I feel fortunate every single day I get up to be able to do something musical, and I'd like to, I'd like to do that until my last breath. Yeah, I sit there and watch, you know, concert footage of Horowitz in his 90s in, in, in Moscow playing and the audience is in tears because it's so deep and so profound. And you go, man, it's, there's nothing like this. And I, I pinch myself every day that this, I was lucky enough that this actually was my gig. Not only do you have to pinch yourself, I feel like a lot of fans of just music in general, because you had such a large influence in all the different records and all the different songs that you were a part of, we have to pinch ourselves to say, hey, Lee, just thank you for all the things that you've contributed into our lives when you're just being able to work in the studio and be so flexible and versatile and kind of mastering all these different types of genres and playing. And speaking of all these different genres, another mm -hmm. question that I am struggling to try to figure out because there is no clear-cut answer. There's no science. There's no math. There's no explanation. But I would love to pick your brain specifically and say, everyone has different tastes of music. There are definitely some songs where universally everyone just kind of agrees saying, this is beautiful. But then when you get nitpicky saying, oh, a lot of people are saying, oh, I only like country or I'm not a big rap fan. Of course, there are personal preferences. But what do you believe yeah. are some of the contributing factors that might influence what someone might enjoy? And I know that's kind of an impossible question. So I'll give you a little bit of time to think about that because for myself, as you know, I'm a first generation Korean. My parents would listen yeah. to primary Korean music, uh, like Eastern Asian Korean type of music. And so growing up, I felt a little bit alienated because all my friends were listening to, well, um, I'm trying to think what was out at the time, maybe Backstreet Boys, Avril Lavigne, Britney Spears. And at that time, I knew those names, but I didn't know any of those songs. So imagine a kid trying to fit in, but they don't know what's on the radio. Yeah. So immediately I felt a little bit yeah. weird. So I felt like I had to make up some ground. It wasn't until I was maybe in my 20s when I finally heard Nirvana smashing pumpkins. It's almost mm -hmm. like I was like a stunted growth and then I started to figure it out. And so at that time, it was really funny because I didn't know what music I liked and I didn't like. And a lot of people are saying, oh, because I grew up in the country, that's why I like listening to this and that. And typically people from the city, like where I'm from in Philadelphia, there's a lot of big R&B, hip hop, rap type of fans, and maybe country isn't predominantly dominated. So I know there are a lot yeah. of different factors that kind of might contribute to saying, hey, this is my taste in music. And I feel like nowadays it's a lot easier to be accessible to every type of music. Everyone's making phenomenal yeah. music. So maybe your answer might have changed, but hopefully you had some time a little bit to think. So what do you think really starts to contribute in someone's taste in the type of music that they might be listening to? 
Well, I, I think certainly environment does it, and not only your 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 geographical environment, but your home environment. I mean, what you're, what you know, I grew up in a very eclectic household. My parents had a pretty wide range of things that they liked to listen to when they would listen. To, they had a big record collection, so I was exposed to a whole lot of different music as a as a child. But if somebody like say say they grew up in Tennessee. And their parents were big country music fans. And as a child growing up, pretty much the dominant music in your household was country music. Um, chances are that may be one of the, the genres that you would lean towards because you're most familiar with it. Um, in, in the same way, like if you if you grew up in in Memphis and your family was like complete like blues freaks. And uh, and so everything you were listening to was Jimmy Reed and you know and Buddy Guy and 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 BB King and all, that you might lean in that direction, um, but you know so I think it's it's a little of your geographical location, but also the kind of music you were exposed to. But sometimes that can work in the opposite way. Some people are rebellious and they've grown up in one environment and they immediately Absolutely. when it when they can make their own choices, they reject that or 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 ignore it and make their own voyage of discovery. As a I, I felt fortunate that that I did grow up with an eclectic household because when the time came to step into the world of studio work, you have to be cognizant of all the styles because you never know what you're going to get called for. So uh, there's so many sessions that I show up to that I have no idea what the music is when I get there. And it's not till the session begins that I find out maybe it's a it's a commercial or it's a uh, we're doing a TV show or a cartoon or a country record or, you know, they're bringing me in to put some bass on a, on a hip hop record because it's all synth and they want to have something a little more organic. Um, so it, it, the variety of things that can go on that that mold your you know musical experience can be pretty pretty wide and and, and it really also depends how hungry you are for experience now um, some people really like lock into one thing and that's what they're into and that's it and other people really want to like they go to dinner and they don't just eat a salad they eat the entire meal and uh, and that's kind of the world I live in is, you know, you go in and you taste a little of everything and uh, and you try to glean what you can out of each of them so that if you're called to do it, uh, you have some concept of what's going to be required of you. Now, I know this is a very unfair question to ask, but growing please, up with this please. eclectic background and having such a versatile style, I think that's one of the main traits I would always be able to describe. Whenever I talk to my friends about you, I always say he's so versatile. He he can just do anything, whether he's going to be trying to add some bass to like a bluegrass thing or a hard rock and roll or just anything at all. Lee will be able to get it done because he has the experience and the skills to back it up. But what type of songs have you had some of these emotional connections to and what kind of memories do you hold on to some specific songs? And I know we've been kind of talking a little bit in this podcast saying we as humans naturally kind of make those connections. So I would love to hear what some of the songs that you might have had special connections to. So not necessarily asking, hey, Lee, what is your favorite song? But what are some songs that you kind of hold special yeah. and why is that? I felt really blessed that when my career started, it started with one of the best songwriters I've ever known in my life, James Taylor. Oh my goodness! And so there's a there's a lot of songs within James's repertoire 
like mill worker. It's really hard to name, you know, specific song, but that genre, it to me is always very emotional because where the lyrics came from was very deep. Uh, Jackson Brown was the same way. Jackson's such a wonderful writer. But my, my connections with, with different songs, there's different songs in different genres. I remember being in the studio doing a Reba McIntyre album, and it was the album that we did following the tragedy when her band was all killed in a plane crash. Wow. Um, and And this was the first project we did afterwards. And we did a song called If I'd Have Only Known that was written by, I think, one of the singers, this girl who was one of the background singers on Nashville Now or one of the shows. And it had been in Reba's desk for ages. And for some reason, she, after this whole thing, she somehow remembered the song and pulled it back out. And the whole essence of this song was, if I had only known this was the last time we would ever see each other, what would I have said? And it's exactly, it, it kind of described the entire scene of the plane crash and all this. And when we were in the studio recording this, Reba kept breaking down during it and crying. I mean, it was emotionally so intense. And and I'll never forget that. And, and it affected me just being in the room with her, watching what she went through. Songs like uh, the emotional impact of Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight, when we do that in a concert situation, and that and the tension that builds through that entire song up to the drum fill in it and you see the whole audience when that fill hits everybody's arms go people bring sticks with them and they're doing air drumming and things like that to me are really profoundly i, I still i get goosebumps talking about it i mean they still really are are deep in my in my psyche and there's been a, a, lots of those it's not you know it's not like there's only a few that i've ever heard that affected me that way in the same way like when i sit as many times as i've seen it when i sit and watch the original movie of west side story there's just moments in there where man it just nails you every time or one of my favorite movies with Cinema Paradiso. And in the very end of the movie, when it all comes together for the, for the character in it, the main character, I mean, I know exactly what's coming. Yeah, I mean, I know that, that, I know that scene inside out, yet the minute it happens, I tear up and I get goosebumps. There's you know, lots of things like that in your life that, that, that do affect you that way. And, and it's impossible to ever get away from those. They've, they've had such a profound uh, impact on you. And once again, that goes back to, you know, people saying that, you know, that song represents like my father's death or my parents' divorce or my child's birth. And, and there's no escaping it. They really have that. And there's a lot of thoughts like that for me, that when I hear them, I just kind of, I just go, you know, it's it affects you on a level that's that's much deeper than than most of the other stuff you're listening to. But I feel really fortunate that I've worked with some of the greatest songwriters in this business. So I've been privy to really you know truly remarkable songs. And uh, and and sometimes you'll hear something, and you just go, "Holy crap! That is that is so good." And it's suddenly it's it's a part of your DNA the first time you've heard it and and you long to hear it again and you never tire of it no matter what. And it's it's that's a remarkable thing to me to have something that you can experience over and over and over and still get the same response uh, emotionally to it. It's it, it, a pretty deep level. 
Wow. Just the stories that you're just bringing when you and I don't mean to make this up at all. I, I got goosebumps that if I'd only known that specific story has to tug at your heartstrings. But what you also mentioned in the example of the Phil Collins in the air tonight, that one concert moment where everyone's air drumming, waiting for that kind of climatic point of that song. I feel like that is the perfect microcosm of what music can honestly do. Music kind of be able to bring everyone together. And when you bring everyone together like that, all their thoughts and everything that might divide us as people, all the differences are put away. For that quick drum solo moment to kind of get to that point, all of us are sharing this moment saying us as people, we're experiencing this together. And it once again, neutralizes everything. Everything is pushed aside because we're all sharing this together. And it's these special moments. uh, Just uh, it's very rare. Uh, Other uh, musicians or artists, like maybe actors and things like that can kind of say, Oh, during this climatic movie point, everyone is in suspense. But as musicians, it's so fantastic because everyone is it's almost like you guys are sharing the same vibe in that moment, yes. that specific point of the night, everyone came together as one pushed everything aside and said, let's just enjoy our lives. Well, it's kind of like a big living organism, you know, like it's, it's, it's all, we're all breathing the same breaths and, and feeling the same experience. And that, that's, you know, I mean, that for me is one of the things that working with a band is like when things are really lockdown man and and you feel it like when i was uh, you know out with phil or when i'm out with our band or when i was out with toto and then there's those shows where it all just comes together and you're all kind of playing but you kind of look at each other and go holy shit this is really amazing tonight you know i mean just there's that time where it just goes that extra level and then at that point and you realize that the audience is totally with you on it and and the whole room is like breathing like it's like it's one thing and it's it's just the most magical emotional experience and uh and i think that's one of the things that keeps me doing this is it's it's almost like an endorphin you know when you when you're out there and it's like you're running another marathon and you're hitting that point where suddenly your body's worn out so this other level takes over and pushes you to the finish line with concerts like that too, there can be that thing where you're just going, "This is uh, this is unbelievable." I can't imagine a, a, a deeper emotional feeling than what's, what we're going through at that moment, and uh, and, I, and it just keeps me hungry, keeps me really craving this kind of an experience. I know music has a way of kind of feeding into the world of vulnerability, which I kind of explained about a little bit Mm -hmm. from at least a consumer. When I listen to music, I tend to be in a vulnerable state and music kind of helps me elevate gate back to like a level headedness, if you will. But I kind of wanted to talk about the other side as an artist, as a musician yourself. There's a lot of vulnerability when you release music. There's a lot of time saying, how will the public receive this? I'm pouring my soul into this. I'm telling my story. I hope it's received well. And once again, I don't want to focus on the negatives, but I know a lot of times, I'm sure a lot of artists have to think naturally thinking there, I'm not saying there is a formula for what a quote unquote pop hit can be or commercial successful song, but I'm sure a lot of the times you almost have to weigh that balance of, I want to still put my heart into this album, but at the same time, I understand I have to play that game. So I was always wondering with you, not necessarily on that thought, but how have you gotten used to kind of leaving yourself vulnerable saying, hey, I know this is a song. I want to support you and your vision that you're bringing to me. So I want to play this bass 
exactly the way that you envision it, but also you almost have to try your best to immerse yourself in everything the artist is trying to present to you. Yeah, it's, I've always looked at it like whenever, when I go to work, when the phone rings, you have two options. And you can either say no or you say yes. And if you say yes, there's obligations that come with that, that, that response. And so when I go into the studio, I, I tend to treat every session like I've just joined a new band and I'm, I have a vested interest in it, even though I'm just hired help at that point and I'm just you know working on the thing. So it's one of those things that I, I may not necessarily think it's the best song I've ever heard or anything like that, but I'm going to make it the best I can make it at that point because that's the obligation that comes with having said yes to doing the session. And a lot for a lot of artists, that one time may be their only shot at ever getting in the studio and you want to make it the best experience for them you possibly can. Now, I'm leaving there going off to another session. So my my career isn't weighing in the balance of the success of their track, but their whole experience in music might be weighing in on that that one experience. So you really want to make it the best it can be. And, and, it, and to me, it doesn't matter if I'm in the studio with Phil Collins or James Taylor, or mm -hmm. if I'm in the studio with, with Joe Blow or whoever. It's my, not duty, but it's an obligation I've taken on to go in and, and make the best of what I can do, what I can contribute to the project. And in my heart of hearts, I, I may you know, know when I'm leaving that session that nobody's ever gonna hear this. This is not very good. But if you leave there and the person you were working with and for is happy and smiling you've done your job and that's who, that's who you need to be pleasing you know it's their name is going to appear on the record if it comes out their name chances are is going to be on the check that you're paid i mean there's a there's a commitment there so you make it you make it the best you possibly can make it and uh, and after that you have no control over where any of this is i've worked on some projects that i thought were the coolest things i ever worked on that never got released that some something went down and they just got shelved. And I've worked on other things that I thought were just the dumbest song. And next thing I know, it's number one. And so, so all I can do is when I get the call, I go in and give it my best shot. And 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 when you when you do this job, at least from my standpoint, your involvement is deeper than just pulling out a a bass and playing the song. You go, you know, I go into the control room, I listen to the playback. If I think I can make any suggestions about structure of the song, I'm happy to throw it out. But my ego has to be on the back burner to the point where if they say, well, you know, I appreciate the idea, but I don't think we want to do that. You go, cool. Just wanted to, you know, throw it out there. Not like, oh, what do you mean, man? You know, I've done this a long time. I know everything. We don't know. You know, you're relearning everything every day. Uh, if you really think I, I, I was going to do a T-shirt on my site that said, if you think you know everything, you don't know anything, you know, because it, it really is um, a, a learning experience every day. And I think that's what keeps it fresh for me is as many albums as I've worked on. Every time I walk in the studio, it's a it, it's a new experience. I might be with new musicians, a new artist, a new a new engineer not necessarily a new genre but maybe a new spin on the genre and to me that's exhilarating that's a, that's where the endorphins come out you're really excited about it you know i, I feel for people that would maybe have a job that's a completely repetitive job that never changes from day to day 
Um, I really like the idea I'm in music, but it's a new new game every time I go to work. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> and that's what music is at its essence, no matter what the yeah. genre is, even if it makes you feel sad. Well, you're listening to it because you want to feel sad. It's yeah. fun to feel sad sometimes. That's such a mm-hmm. weird thing to think of. And like a lot of times, whether it's Phil Collins in the air, when you get all pumped up and energized because you want to, you know, you have the championship game coming up and you're trying to psych yourself. It's fun. Fun to be in that moment it, at its essence and at its core it could be so childish because that's what you want that's what music is at the end of the day yeah it's we're plucking a couple weird sounding frequencies we make people's heads bob and at the end of the day that's all we really want just kind of capture their attention yeah well we did a a, a web and i do i've been involved in a few of them but they do these wonderful webinars from berkeley um school and uh, we were doing one and it was a bunch of bass players and drummers and Omar Hakim was one of the drummers. And, and, and one of the best kind of phrases he was given to think about is um, he says, don't lose the dance floor. And there's and that means really means everything, man. When you look out there and everybody's bopping and their heads are bobbing and they're having a good time. And then suddenly you start to do something else and suddenly that stops. That's not good. You know, you want to you want to you want to keep them engaged and and enjoying what you're doing. And I, I just when he said that, I went, and that's really that's so true. You don't want to lose that dance floor. So music just has a way of trying to almost transcend us to another mode that we didn't even know existed. And I know that kind of talks about like a weird type of I'm not even trying to talk about dimensions, but just feelings wise, it helps you either elevate or confirm or affirm. I mean, whatever you might be feeling and things like that. So in the world of music, it's there's no science. You can't explain it. Humans just gravitate towards it. And I know you can be (laughs) metaphysical and and all that. I mean, there's 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 Again, we go back to like peeling an onion. There's so many levels to this. I mean, there's the, the level of just hearing the music and bopping your head. Then you suddenly hear the lyrics and you dig in a little bit deeper. Then you listen to the, you, uh, even unconsciously, you start to disseminate the musical structure of it. Then you start to look around and the shared experience with the people around you. And it just keeps on going and going. And it really is one of those remarkable mediums that humanity has always had, always will have. I mean, the most discouraging thing to me is when you see, you know, like schools and stuff dealing with budget issues and the first thing that they choose to cut is the music department. Oh, yeah. You know, they'll keep sports and they'll keep all that stuff going, but they kind of look at at, at music as, as an expendable medium and you kind of go, without it, we would be so sad and such a pathetic creature without it and and when you really expose yourself to it it's everywhere you go into the supermarket there's music playing you go into any place there's music playing you get in your car chances are there's music playing you turn on anything on television from the most banal commercial to to you know blockbuster movies it's all music in these things it really it it, it can do so much in a few bars to dictate what you really are going to experience in that. I mean, it can be the saddest music or the happiest music and and, and the scene may not change, um, but it's going to change the scene for you. It's like going back and listening to, there was a composer named Carl Stalling and Carl Stalling did all of the music for the old like Warner Brothers cartoons, the classic stuff. 
and you listen to that and you kind of think about those cartoons without music and they're kind of, you know, it's great animation. But man, when you listen to the orchestrations that went on, how complicated and how insane that music was, you go, that's really the essence of all that's going on in that in that cartoon. So like in that perfect yeah. example, you could watch that cartoon on mute and yeah, you still see everything that's going on, but it's just because it's visual. But now close your eyes, but put the volume up. You see everything in your head. You're even making up saying, oh, they're running at this speed. He just turned a corner and he's being chased right now. You you know everything that's going on because music has this yeah. way of kind of connecting you in a way that you didn't even know. And I actually want to ask you one last question before we start to kind of sure. come full circle. And Leland, I, I am going to need you here because I feel like I know where your stance is on this. And I'm going to need your help because I feel like I'm the old grumpy one in this situation. So okay. with music, it is it. definitely evolving. And I know this is a conversation we had in the previous podcast where we got to sit down and talk, but with the advance of all these different genres popping up and everyone using different instruments in different ways and trying to make the next innovative sound, if you will, one thing that I would be remiss to bring up, mm -hmm. I have a stepfather named uh, Dr. Christopher Hannum. Shout out, Doc. Uh, he is the one one that really got me to really fall in love with music. I wasn't just listening to Spotify on repeat mm -hmm. anywhere. Now I was going to jazz festivals with him because I know the importance of seeing a live show, the the improvisation. The, you can see their soul playing, they're smiling, they're laughing, and they're just having the time of their lives. And I feel like that connection is something that some people are getting away with because a lot of the times when you see live music now, sometimes they'll just pretty much have a laptop, the DJ will drop a beat and then someone will sing, not saying anything's wrong with that. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. There is art and it's very enjoyable. But for me, I feel like we're almost getting away of this live type of music where everything is pre-recorded or they're making beats on a soundtrack, which is very talented, but I feel like it's almost getting away from that humanizing essence. So it's always this little fear that I know no matter what, live music will always be there, no matter what. And I know that for a fact, but I guess I'm getting a little bit of a scare because I feel like a lot of the new generational music are really starting to push like this techno electronica lo-fi this type of sounds where i'm saying oh no are we moving too far away from the essence of it and once again i know this is kind of like the old shaking my hand up at the air saying oh you guys don't understand what music once was that's not what i'm trying to say but am i validating in this fear or are you saying no it's just maybe a phase or we always will return back um i i think i think one of the the, the true true ways of, of of life is the pendulum is always swinging and you know and so th things that like you're talking about like with, with there's a certain sterility to a lot of the music because it's it's not being manufactured by musicians it's it's more of a technology as that's been going on i've been hearing more and more organic kind of old school young artists coming along so you know I, i'm i'm really kind of good with it all because I, I, it's it's sort of like the, you know the situation where you, you without mountains you can't have valleys you know i mean you really all of these things have a certain validity to them. They may not be any, you know, any of our personal taste. It, it wouldn't be my go-to music if I was going to be listening to something. It's like I talk to so many, like a lot of young people, and all they and they still go, man, Hendrix, man, you know, Cream, you know, and they go back to classic, you know, '60s and '70s rock and British Invasion, and they might be, you know, t 20 years old, and this is what they're into. Um, I think it's music is a voyage of discovery and, and there's a lot of music uh, that I find 
profoundly unsatisfying when I hear it. But if I really go back and listen to what I was listening to when I was a kid, there was a lot of crap. It's just a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it's been weeded out with the test of time. And so the, the stuff that was really great during that period is, is what survived. And, mm -hmm. uh, and people are still talking about from that period. There's aspects of this that can be frustrating. I mean, the technologies come along where so many people think that they, they can make a record or they can make music because they could go to the, you know, mm -hmm. go to Best Buy and buy some kind of a, 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 a laptop and maybe a keyboard of some kind. And there's enough built-in sounds and mm -hmm. beats and all that stuff that they can go ahead and start throwing something together. It's not like sitting around with somebody who really has compositional skills and, and understands and also then hires uh, and brings in a great band. So you get suddenly instead of a guy sitting playing bass with his left hand and programming it into the thing, you bring in a bass player that really understands that instrument and its purpose and its place in the music. But I think that these things all have to run their course. I mean, there was a, there was a long time ago that everybody said raps like mm -hmm. it's, it's a phase. They're going to go through this. Yet it's still, you know, how many, like 25 years later, it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's not my go-to music <laughs> when I'd be listening to something because I, I, I long for melodic content. And generally, if there's any melodic content in it, it's sampling from stuff that was done years ago. Yeah. But, it, it, but if you break down some of the lyrical aspect of, of some of these things, and they would actually work in prose, if you saw it written in a book and there's actually some some profound you know story behind these you know then on, it's valid on that level it's just many times the musical accompaniment to it is to, for me is lacking so it doesn't catch my fancy because I, I find it you know it's like rather than having a nice dinner you're at mcdonald's you know you're going to be full at the end of the at the end of the meal but how satisfied are you from you know at the end of the meal mm -hmm. um but um, you know, it's 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 one of those situations that I think the thing I love so much about the arts is how subjective the arts are. And in the same way, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but, you know, you go into an art museum and stand in front of a painting and there can be two people standing there. And one of them is going, this is the worst piece of crap I've ever seen. And the other person is going, isn't this amazing? <laughs> They're both absolutely correct on it because the arts are really subjective. Where does it touch your heart and your soul and your intellect and all those things? And uh, and there's people I see, you know, driving around in their car, bopping their heads and they've got like, you know, their giant bass tubes going and you can hear them two blocks away. And I'm going, this is just so sickening. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, to me, I can't imagine being in that vehicle, but that person <laughs> is having a great time with it. So it's, it, that's their prerogative. And I can't, I can't say it's wrong with it. It's just, it's not what I would listen to. And I, I remember putting uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, on one of the early videos, I forget what classical piece it was, but it was, uh, just the most beautiful, um, it might have been Delib's flower duet, um, which I think is one of the most beautiful pieces of classical music that's for two women singing it. And somebody came on, a bunch of people came on and said, God, that was fantastic. And somebody came on and said, God, I couldn't stand that cat screeching. You know, I mean, it completely bugged them to hear this. And I went, 
fine. Then you don't have to listen to this. You know, you go listen to what you like. So we all we all have our our, our preferences in it. And and you, and and once again, we're back to one of the early questions you had and statements about you know so much so much of this is the environment you grow up in. And if you grew up in a household where everybody was listening. Rap was like the music that that was that permeated the household. Chances are that's going to be your go-to music. And if you grew up in a classical household, you might listen to any other genre and just kind of be really unsatisfied with it and really want to put on Mozart or you know Beethoven. Um, so it, it's 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 so subjective, and really it's up to personal taste what works for you. One thing that I really do love about music, very similar to the amazing example you had about two people standing at the art museum, is I actually personally enjoyed a lot when the artist or musician or whoever the platform is, is not spoon feeding me the meeting. It's up to us to interpret it. So I feel like yeah. now in the days of the internet, that's almost ruined because people are saying, oh, what do you think he meant when he said this? Oh, well, now I'm connecting this to this. And they try to do all this, but I feel like they're kind of setting themselves up for failure because it should honestly be up to the interpretation of someone else. No one should really be in the right saying, you're wrong, what they meant was this. And yeah. I know a lot of the times uh, when people interview people, they say, oh, what did you actually mean when you said these lyrics? I personally love it when the artists say, well, what do you think? Because whatever you think yeah. is right. Oh, no, but but my friend Bill said you think this. like, well, he's right too. whatever it means to him. I, I really dislike it when people feel like they have to spoon feed you because in a way it's almost insulting us as the audience being like, oh, did they not think we would pick that up? But kind of the ambiguity and being able to connect at certain points of my life. I can listen to the same song when I'm 20. And now that I'm closer to 30, I can listen to that same song and be like, no, OK, now it means this in my yeah. life because that's what it's supposed to be. So music has this profound way of kind of impacting us in the different phases of our lives because it's so hard to be technical when it comes to it. Music is just, like you said, a medium. You can't really harness it. You could just kind of make it, and it's hard to explain. And I know we jumped into a lot of different types of rabbit holes so far, and so I kind of want to circle around, Lee, and say, just in maybe just a few sentences, how would you answer that question of why is music so important? I think it's the lubricant of our soul. You know, it really, uh, it, it really is the thing that that transcends most other emotions and can and can feed emotions that that maybe you were not even aware of and you suddenly hear some music and it, and it, it transcends and takes you to another place but one of the things I, i'm going to digress just a little bit is i think one of the difficult things about contemporary music is the technology uh, to a certain extent has has diminished the quality of the art because when i think back to doing albums there was it was almost like making an album and and listening to an album was almost like a japanese tea ceremony it was it was a very kind of formal experience you would you would get your album you would you know take it out of its wrapper a lot of albums opened up and they had lots of information in them or they had inserts and when you listen to it when the album was made there was an incredibly purposeful a thing done by the artist as to how do you start the album? How do you finish side A emotionally? How do you want to start side B? Um, we would go a lot of times to mastering. And when you're when they're cut, actually cutting the lacquers and we all be sitting there and you listen to that first song end, and then I'll go, that's where the second song would begin. Because sometimes you want more space between the songs to let the motion of the first song 
settle or sometimes you wanted them butted up close as almost like a shock to kind of like you're you're in this space and suddenly you're jump again where with contemporary technology people are just putting together playlists mm -hmm. and they're not they're not heeding what the intent that originally went into albums so there it's it's all like tons of singles it's you know lots of individual songs or somebody if they purchased an album they would only like listen to the couple of songs that they like on it um, so I think the listening experience has changed dramatically for the audience. Now, that being said, I'm coming from an audience that was listening to, to albums, you know, most of my life. There's mm -hmm. generations now that have never experienced albums. And the only thing they know, first off, they've never heard music through big speakers with big power amps and you know, a turntable or whatever, you know, they're listening on with, you know, they're listening with earbuds, uh, you know, on their phone. And uh, so the, the, the fidelity isn't there. Um, I mean, you're hearing it all, but it'd be like watching, uh, you know, Star Wars, you know, a new Star Wars episode on your phone instead of in a giant theater. It's just a different experience. And one of the things I've tried to always be cognizant of mm -hmm. when I'm working in the studio, especially with younger artists is, don't be the old fart where you're, you know, tell, you know, you don't talk about the mm -hmm. things that you grew up with unless people want to know about it. But if you start talking about the difference between analog and digital and all that to somebody who's never heard analog, you know, you just sound like grandpa talking about the good old days. And, and, and to me, I enjoy working too much to put myself in, in that kind of a position. Um, but if I'm working with like some young artists and they say, man, what was it like when you guys were cutting to tape and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, man, I'm happy to share my experience with them. But uh, you, you don't bring it up to them because uh, because their life is their life. And, and you don't want to denigrate what their, what their life experience is at that point. Uh, if you can enhance it, great. But otherwise, you just share what you can. I remember that conversation that we had very distinctly when I kind of raised that concern saying, hey, Lee, yeah. I know you're not blind to the fact that even myself am very guilty of just going on to Spotify. I have a playlist. And even though I make a playlist full of many different singles, I then do another thing and I just put it on shuffle and say, all right, now give me yeah. whatever hosh posh of singles that I want to hear. And I actually reflected a little bit after our conversation really thought, wow, isn't it crazy in the past? We used to say, listen to this album. It tells a story. And I know the example I made in the last mm -hmm. podcast was when the Beatles did it with Sgt. Peppers, uh, when they opened up and said, Billy Shears is here and then Ringo comes in. It's just like a connected storyline. And when that first happened, it blew everyone's mind. But nowadays, uh, kind of the meme or the joke is, hey, did you listen to my mixtape? And I feel like that's such an appropriate thing to say because that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. a mixtape full of maybe seven or eight singles and maybe a couple of fillers to maybe make it sound like they're giving more songs, and then that's it. It's not meant to be listened to in order, saying, oh, number one is my best song. That's how I capture them, and then I'll put my you know next best songs kind of in a list and a descending order and whatnot. And so I feel like a lot of the times that kind of hurts me when I put something on shuffle, and I know a certain song is supposed to come on right after that, and then a whole new artist will play a song, another single. I'm like, okay, and it's almost like when you hold in a sneeze, you're like, oh gosh, something feels weird. I have to go back and now I want to listen to the full album and have that experience again. So I'm really hoping that does come back. And like you mentioned before and foreshadowed, there are tons of people that are even younger, like 14, 15, who are saying, wow, did you hear Poison? Oh my God, did you hear that Prince album? Did you hear Purple Rain? And I'm like, wait, how, how, do, you, how do you know about 
Purple Rain. And to me, it's like that thing where you yeah. mentioned the great songs transcend. It doesn't matter what decade. No one will say, oh, is your favorite band from the 60s and 70s the Beatles? Oh, that's great. They're a great 60s and 70s band. That's not how they refer to them as that. Same with Phil Collins. Oh, Phil Collins. Oh, he was my favorite artist of that, you know, kind of era. No, they just talk about these artists in kind of high respect. And that's what I'm very confident that kind of the great music continues to prove itself. And I know we talk so much about music. And one thing I always yeah. like to do with my listeners is almost have a little bit of a palate cleanser, Lee, kind of show a different side of you. And one question I always like to ask my guests are, Lee, I know the pandemic is happening. I know you feel a little bit, not just yourself, but a lot of people feel restricted in what they're able to do, but for the betterment of society, we're trying to protect everyone, which is great. So one thing I want to ask is, is there anything recent that you've added to your bucket list or anything like that saying, oh man, I would really love to do something like this on my free time if I could do it or, you know, before I kick the bucket and before I ascend to, you know, the next phase of my life, this is something I would love to accomplish. What does that kind of look like for you? The thing that, that, that it may, may sound ridiculous, but I'm, I'm my plate is so full at this point and my only expectation um, for the future is to be able to take the things that are happening now and, and take them to the next level, um, be it with our band, The Immediate Family, because we're chomping at the bit to get our album out and to hit the road. Um, we're, we're so anxious for this documentary film to, to be finished and coming out, and then we can go out and promote and work that. Um, so, you know, at, at this point, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll be 74 in May, so, I mean, you know, I'm a senior citizen and all that. Um, <laughs> and and I, I feel really quite fulfilled between my book and the YouTube channel and the recording that I'm doing at home and then taking care of my household and everything. My, my days are packed. And uh, I, I, the only other stuff I'm looking forward to is we, we had a trip planned uh, to France uh, last year that had to be because of COVID postponed and it's uh, and we're hopefully going to be going I think in September um, of this year so there's a, a few things on the horizon that I'm hoping happen but for the most part I feel pretty pretty fulfilled my real concern in life right now is just that we get our herd immunity going to where we can um, start to function as as a society again and not as a bunch of individuals locked up i mean i was incredibly discouraged today where the governor of texas has lifted all of the mask laws and opened up everything and you kind of go okay so there's going to be a shitload of people that are going to die and suffer now that don't have to be because you're too stupid unfortunately um, so. to do anything so my my real concerns right now for the future really is is a is a humanistic um, concern i i've got enough stuff personally keeping me busy for a long time that my bucket list is full and 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 but, but i'm always i'm always open to things so if something came along that was really interesting um i would jump on it you know i just uh, but what i'm immediately doing at this point is keeping me so busy that and kind of fulfilled that i don't really really want to add any more to the equation that is a perfect description of who Leland Scalar is. You're just a doer. You put your mind to something saying, I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. But you're not someone who says, I want to do it. 
you are, I will do it and I'm going to do it right now kind of thing. So to kind of see your fascinating legacy continue to be set, your work ethic and things like that is something I definitely admire. Yeah. And it's something that I feel like a lot of people admire. But Lee, if you don't mind, I'll add something to your bucket list. Whenever sure. you guys go back on tour, which I am very excited to see the immediate family and fingers crossed, I, it almost sounds like, oh, whenever the pandemic's over, whenever the pandemic's over, well, whenever things settle down and, you know, venues can open back up and you could go back on tour very safely, of course, I am hoping you will be touring over on the East Coast somewhere. It doesn't have to be in Pennsylvania where I'm currently located, but my bucket list item is I will kick myself if I don't get to see you perform on that stage, commanding everyone's respect, saying, wow, look at that baseline. And I'll be like, that's Lee. I, I, I talked to him a couple of times. It was awesome. And so my bucket list item is definitely hoping that I'm able to see you live. And there's nothing that will bring greater joy. And I know from my past conversations with you, that is not something that you're willing to hang up yet. Whenever you are ready to go oh, back no. on tour, you I know we said, hey, I you know, I love doing the YouTube. I love doing Clubhouse. I love being able to interact with people. But I would ditch it all tomorrow if you said, all right. We're allowed to go back on tour. You'll say, okay, I'm going back on tour because that to me is energizing saying, okay, there's still some hope. There's still something that could hold on to saying I'll be able to see Lee. Well, we'll make it happen. Let's just, let's just be positive. Keep positive vibes going in. Yeah. Yes. When it'll happen, we don't know, but it will happen. Absolutely. And I just cannot wait. So both of us can now cross that off saying, all right, perform for Tommy. And my bucket list item is go see Lee. So we'll both be doing ourselves a favor, being able to do something like that, which I'm definitely excited for. And I know we are wrapping up. Uh, there are two more things on the agenda that I would like to go over. Lee, where can people find you? What are some things that you've been working on? Uh, I know people are going to be listening to this saying, why does this episode have to need to come to an end already? But where can people find more of you? I know we described saying that you have a YouTube channel, which is nothing new. I know a lot of the interviews that you've been, you've been talking about that. But how do you feel about this new persona you're taking on? I've been uh, obviously I've been subscribed. And I know before we started this podcast, I was kind of talking to you about some of the updates that you give that community. And I'm not sure if you know, and I'm sure you do. You're almost dubbed the Mr. Rogers of YouTube. You're kind of bringing this community of wholesomeness. You're really bringing people together when they need it. Kind of like you said, we're isolated right now. We're not getting to see those families. I have not hugged my sister in so long, but you're still providing a community where you give people updates. And some people might say, oh, it's just silly. It's just Lee saying, what he's doing for the day but people look forward to it they have this connection where people stop by early like you mentioned the last podcast saying oh bill you're here to see leland too yeah oh man how how was soccer practice for your daughter i know they did that are they back in school so it's really cool you're kind of creating this community but at the same time when you kind of tackled this new platform it's really magnificent to see how well you're doing but it's also a testament to kind of who you are so this is just a long-winded way of saying lee what are some projects that you've been working on how can people get more of you well, the thing is, well, I, I certainly would invite anybody who hears this to come and subscribe to the YouTube channel um, because I've put up at least one video every single day. Where I think on the somebody said on the 14th, it'll be uh, one year that um, we've been that I've been doing this. But I've, I've, I haven't missed one day. I, I haven't missed one day in the past year uh, without putting, you know, something up. So. So come, you know, just go on YouTube and, and pull up Leland Sklar channel or whatever on it. And there's a mountain of content there. The book is you're holding it right now. I did this this book that has 6000 photographs in it of everybody imaginable flipping me off, giving me the finger. If uh, you want to check that out, my website 
for that is lelandsklarsbeard.com. And don't worry, guys. I'll have all this down in the show notes below so you will be able to look at yeah, it. Yeah, and it's it's there for fun. I've been doing a bunch of home recording for people. I just finished a couple of songs for Julian Lennon, um, did some stuff for Ian Pace from Deep Purple, um, did a project for an, uh, for an artist down in New Zealand. So, I mean, every day is just really packed, packed tight. And, you know, and plus I'm, I'm on Facebook every day when I'm not kicked off of it. I mean, it's, it's like one of the older platforms, but it's the one I like the most because I find Instagram is mostly, you know, like photographs and people showing what they had for lunch. And Twitter to me mm-hmm. is too restrictive mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of text you can put in. So like for me, um, I, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll still use Facebook from the standpoint that I can be real long winded on it um, on lots of different subjects. And 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 it's great. I mean, I've got uh, over 90,000 people on my Facebook page and, uh, and it's just a personal page. There's also a fan page, but I hardly go there that often. I really like the personal page. It's like, yeah, I just I don't want to keep spread myself so thin, but um, I introduce people to new music that I discover and talk about things that are going on. Like there was a, a, a kid who down, I think he was in Texas, who just won the National Spelling Bee, you know, and I, and I put it up wow. and, and he's a young black kid, you know, and, and all you see on the news is, you know, like talking about thugs and stuff in the black community. And there's so much great positive stuff that's done that goes on every day in the black community. And, you know, make people realize this and not just say, oh, it's, you know, just a bunch of people out protesting and stuff, you know, that I would never argue against those protests. Those are absolutely critical um, because this is something we've been suffering with in this country since day one um, is is oppression and uh, and and the like. So um, but Facebook, you know, come there and, and hang out. You know, and I get people that come on there and tell me I'm full of shit. And that's fine, too. You know, I mean, it's like that's the world we live in. You're not going <laughs> to please everybody. And uh, that's what makes the world go round. And one thing I actually want to ask you, too, is uh, I know you probably can't release too much information about it. But from my understanding, there is a documentary you're working on with the immediate family as well. Is that correct? Yeah, um, there's a great documentary film called The Wrecking Crew. Uh, And The Wrecking Crew was about the studio musicians from the late 50s to the early 70s um, in Los Angeles who did everybody's records. And one of the greatest musicians ever in the studio was a guitarist named Tommy Tedesco. And to honor him, his son, Denny Tedesco, did The Wrecking Crew movie. Well, Denny came to us and um, he's doing a, a, a documentary film about our group, The Immediate Family. It, it could have been done by now if it weren't for the pandemic, uh, but we had to slow down interviews and make it them all safe. And we were just filming today and we've got a few things left to do. And then they're going to, you know, right now, I mean, it's going to be a 90 minute movie. And right now he's got about three hours of of information. So there's going to be a lot lot of editing and stuff going on. But uh, the interesting part of that was that the wrecking crew, which was, you know, just a name that was hung on those people was together really as a major force in music for about 10 to 12 years from and 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 they only did studio work. They never toured with anybody. They never they weren't involved on projects beyond, for the most part, playing on things where he said the difference with our band is we've been together for 50 years. We've toured with a lot of the artists we've worked with, 
um, produced them, written songs with them. So the, 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 the level of involvement is incredibly different than the Wrecking Crew. And, and But Denny, the same one who did the Wrecking Crew, was doing this movie. And we're so excited about it. And he's a really good mm -hmm. friend. So this is a, a fun project. And hopefully, maybe by maybe late summer or you know early fall, it'll actually be um, finished and ready to go. Because they're still waiting on... Uh, interviews with like Don Henley and Neil Young, a, a bunch of different people are still waiting, but everybody's concerned about COVID. You know, they don't, you know, they're concerned about having some film people come in, even if everybody's been tested and has shots. It's still a little nerve wracking at this point. So. Yeah, it's just that uncharted territory, unfortunately, slowing down some of the yeah. projects in the works. But I just can't wait. If anything, it's kind of building up that anticipation because I'm sure mm -hmm. just like everyone else, we're all starved for something that we want. And I know um, ever since you mentioned this documentary, it's always in the back of my mind saying, all right, have there been some more developments? And following your YouTube channel kind of gives you a little bit of a sneak peek on like some of the developments, like when you took out your hot rod and stuff. So I'm really excited. And for yeah. all you listeners, I will link uh, the Facebook community, the YouTube community, his website, everything that you can possibly find for Lee, I'll definitely have in there for all the listeners. But before I let you go, Lee, one thing Great. I always like to ask my guests yeah. is it doesn't even have to be related on the topic of the question that we talked about today, which is obviously why is music so important, but it doesn't even have to be related to that is as your parting words, what is some wise life advice for people you know we're all going through this together we're all human beings we're all trying to figure out what's happening tomorrow what's happening with our lives as humans what is some yeah. nice life advice that you would like to have for your parting words i think the most important thing right now is stay safe i think everything is predicated on that i mean everything that's that's going to happen down the, the pike for us as far as reopening you know schools and restaurants and music you've got to stay safe so you can be here to enjoy it and, and it's a scary time so i i want to see that everybody that can possibly be here when this is over is here to enjoy you know kind of this blossoming of a new time for us and we'll make the most of it once everything's open but stay safe such a beautiful message from Lee and just some of the wisdom that I was able to pick up from you today is something I'll be eternally grateful for. Once again, Lee always said, music is a lubricant of our souls. And in the famous words of Leland Sklar, when the phone rings, what will you say? Yes or no? Until next time. Now it's your turn to think about the question. What does it all mean to you? Don't be afraid to really dive deep and ponder the question. Until next time.